0: Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab one, turn to 1 Thessalonians. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the Scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. And uh, if you don't have a Bible today, there should be one in front of you. It's a black uh, hardcover Bible. You can turn to page 1047 and follow along with us. Uh, We walk through books of the Bible because we want to hear what God has to say. And church, I want to be honest with you, we want to encounter the living God, which we believe He has revealed Himself in His Word. So we don't come here to listen to someone speak. We come here together to look at His Word and to be changed by that Word because we are going to submit our lives to it. And as we are are in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to continue our series called Hope Shaped Holiness. And as we start this morning, I want us to think about uh, this phrase that uh, when I was dating Ashley, I would go to her house, I would pick her up, and what her mother would say to her when she would leave the house was, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And oftentimes, uh, what she means by that, or what her parents would mean by that, is remember uh, number one, you are a representative of this family. So what you do out outside of this home matters. How you conduct yourself matters. And as being a part of this family, of her family, there's a standard by which we live. There's a, an underlying foundation that although we may be outside of our home, we still live the same way. And as a church, is that not true of us? That although we may be living our lives in different parts of Wake Forest, Youngsville, we may, may be working in different places, we may be going to schools that are different, but at the end of the day, we all should be living according to the family that we're a part of. And although blood is thicker than water, we have a new family forged in the blood of a living Savior. And so now, when we look here at 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't come to this as people who are outside of of God's family. No, we come to this as people who have been brought near to the throne of God through the blood of Christ and now brought together as a family. And church, you hear us talking about this. We don't just say we're a church. We are a church family because God has brought us together. And as a family... We are focused on making the name of Jesus famous because we want to make mature disciples who impact our world for Christ. And if we forget that we are a people specifically brought into this family, then we may not actually reflect Him and reflect the love that we just sung about and the love that we have been shown. So, as we look here in this fourth chapter in these few verses, here's what we're going to see. Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to continue letting family love govern how they live before each other and outsiders. Now, if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, what should we do today? What should we do today? We must know that the gospel must produce family-like love and others-focused living Family-like love and others-focused living. Oftentimes, we can put our our glasses on or we can get tunnel vision and we forget just who we are and who we're called to be. We are a people that demonstrate the love of the Gospel. And we are people who are focused on others because that's what this love is producing in us. So what happens if if we don't let this kind of love grow and we don't foster it? We become a cold people where it's easy to walk in, go through the motions of our worship, and then we walk out and we leave and we don't ever think about each other. Or maybe we come in and put on a face or a masquerade because we want to be something that we're not. Because we've not cultivated an atmosphere or a space where love is the ultimate ethic and we are a people who are able to then share our lives. The good, the bad, and the ugly. May we let the Gospel produce family love. And may we then be people who are others-focused. So this, to be honest, is a natural outworking of the Gospel in His people, in God's people. The Gospel will produce this if we allow it. And a natural outworking of this family love is an actual people who work for the sake of others. People who give their lives away for the sake of others. So, as we walk through verses 9 through 12 this morning, I want to show you two results, two results of family love. Two results of family love. Number one, we prove the gospel through loving one another, we prove the gospel through loving. One another. And we come here to verse 9. We're on the hills of verses 1 through 8, in which verses 1 and 2 in this chapter, Paul begins to transition and he talks about this is the kind of people you're called to be. In light of the gospel that we've proclaimed to you, that you hold on to, in light of the gospel that we have given to you, now live this way. So look at verse 9. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So love is supernatural. This love is supernatural. Now Paul, he seeks to answer this question about family love and this new topic. And it seems most likely that they asked this question of Timothy when Paul sent him. Timothy brings it back and he now reports to them. This is what you need to know about family love. This love that Paul speaks about is brotherly love. We get our name for the city of Philadelphia from this word. And it's this kind of love that is shown by brothers and sisters or a family. And Paul is clear that the family of God has given a community ethic and a love that's based by this ethic. And the Gospel is a Gospel of love. A love that produces a new family. A family who loves. And in fact, Jesus is the firstborn of this new family. We see Paul talk about this in Romans 8. That Jesus is the first brother among many. But Jesus has now made a new family. And surprisingly, Paul says that he doesn't even need to write to them or teach them about this family love. Now, he does this in a way to commend them, right? Almost as if, like, you're doing really good at this. I don't need to say it to you. But let me say it to you, anyways. And it's a way for him to reinforce his focus on family love. And he says, You are taught by God. It's an interesting phrase. And this is Paul's way of saying they have received the supernatural instruction of love and about love. They have remembered and put into practice the gospel and its implications. But how does this actually work? Right. Did they receive some special revelation that we don't know about? I don't think so. I think with Paul's focus here, he commends them, and then he, he shows us how that actually works. It's clear in Scripture that we need God's teaching and revelation. We need God's Word. We don't just have it inside of us innately. Paul is saying that God is clearly working among this young church even when Paul and his team can't. God is clearly working among you. You are loving one another. So much so that I may not even have to tell you about it. And then, they already have the message of the Gospel and therefore the teachings of God. right? We know from the Old Testament that God promised to write His law on our hearts. That when Christ, the Messiah, comes and gives His life for us and is raised to new life, then, then that Messiah would then be able to write His law on our hearts through the Spirit. And that law is what? If we look in the Old Testament, although there are many things there we could sum it up as a law of love. As a law of love. They don't just know it. Church, they do it. They are living this way. And what a standard to be held up to. May we be a church that loves this way. Now, what are they taught? As I just said they are taught to love one another. The church of God has a specific command that should govern how we view, how we treat, And how we value one another. This command to love is another command directly from the Lord Jesus Himself. On the screen behind me, you're going to see a couple verses. The first one is Matthew 22. Where Jesus is responding to the Pharisees who are trying to catch Him uh, in a predicament. And they say, what's the greatest command? And Jesus says, the first command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus doesn't, doesn't play their game. He responds, no, the law is summed up in this. To love God and to love others. We call that the great commandments. Where does where did Jesus get this from? Well, Deuteronomy 6.5 says, you are to love the Lord your God. In Leviticus 19.18, the chapter about holiness, he says to love your neighbor as yourself. This is where Jesus says the whole law hang on these two commands. But Jesus also, in John 13, He says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, and you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are My disciples if you love one another. This command shapes the heart of the New Testament. This command is what we are talking about. This command is the product of God's family. And Jesus has given us this command. So much so that Paul and John and James and Peter, all their letters, at least at some level, talk about the love of God impacting how we love each other. And so this this command to love that proves the Gospel to those around us as we just sang. May the love of God be demonstrated in us. But if we're honest, church, this love is actually kind of difficult to do all the time. Right, we can all think of that one person where we just don't want to show love to that person. Or, or maybe a group of people. Right, this kind of love is intimate. It's close. It's It's strong it takes a lot of work for us to love one another. We don't just arrive at this. It's something that we must give ourselves to and push ourselves in and be open and honest and ask the Lord to grow it in us. Because it's not easy. But a church that demonstrates this kind of love, the enemy will shudder at. Because we are demonstrating the power of the Gospel in our lives. When this kind of love is practiced, It's powerful. It's life-changing. What we see is we see people giving themselves over to loving each other and then we grow together. It's powerful. So love is supernatural, but also love is specific and noticeable. Look there at verse 10. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. Even without Paul or his team being present, this young church is loving. They are astoundedly living out this command. And what's more astounding is they're not just doing it with each other. They're doing it towards everyone in the region. Right? Thessalonica was a capital city of Macedonia. and It was a financial hub for work and trade. And they now spread out into the region. And they begin to love the churches that have been planted all around them. And Paul knows they are loving one another through their acts and demonstrations of their love. It's tangible. You can feel it. You can see it. You can smell it. When you walk into the room, you know that these people love each other. They are focused on others. Even so much so, they're focused on brothers and sisters outside of their church family. The love, is, you could say, is oozing out of them. It's oozing out of them. You see we understand that there is a big C church, the global church, that we have brothers and sisters who are worshiping with us all around the world. Some woke up earlier this morning. Some will worship later today. But we have brothers and sisters all around the world who are worshiping with us celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. So we believe in a big C church, a universal church church. But the local church is a physical expression of the big C global church. So we are participating as the big C church, but specifically here physically gathering together. And notice here, what Paul says is that local church can actually impact the needs of the global church. That's how important our gathering is together that we can then begin to impact God's work, not just here in Wake Forest Youngsville, but all across North Carolina, all across North America, all across the world. That's the kind of love that the Gospel has called us to. And it's the kind of love that the Gospel produces in us. That not just our church, but other churches around us feel this love. And Paul does not just tell us what the Thessalonians did, right? He doesn't tell us exactly what this looks like. But it must have been centered around prayer and giving, showing hospitality, and giving of their time towards these people of these other churches. All right, We've experienced this ourselves. We're part of a church planting network where we even have churches at five minutes down the road, ten minutes down the road who have have loved on us, who have sent us money, who have sent people to care for our children for different things. We have people who have spent their time and energy to help us experience the love of God. We know specifically from the church at Perry Creek, Faith Baptist, Open Door, Bayleaf, all of these churches, not just in a sense of prayer, but a sense of physical, tangible needs. We have felt this too. We know this. And this is why we partner with church plants and missionaries around the world. We don't, just want to, we don't just want to give and pray for them, although that's needed. We need to actually show the physical expression of the love that we've been shown. That's why we send teams. When we talk about partnering with local churches or church plants or missionaries, we're going to send teams because this is not just about us. It's not just out of sight, out of mind. No, we're actually going to present and to show the love that we have. Because we believe that God's church is bigger than just this local church. Right? We want the big C church to be our focus as well. But it's got to start. This love has to start here among us through meeting financial needs, keeping kids during appointments. Many of you have kept my children we know that there are things happening where this love is being demonstrated. We're hosting each other in our homes. Let me just tell you, I love it. I absolutely love it when I. Uh, you may be a guest today. We're so glad that you're here. Oftentimes, you may be invited to someone's home, and I want to. You know, I, we would love to have you, Actually, I would love to have you in our home, but oftentimes, somebody's like, "Yeah, we already got plans with somebody else." I'm like, "Great, fantastic." I didn't even know that was going to happen, because that's the love being demonstrated by you, that people feel this tangible love. The love that we show one another here at Covenant Hope will actually overflow into the churches in our area, and I hope and pray all around the world. The Gospel must produce family-like love. And we prove the Gospel's power by loving one another. But the Gospel must also produce others' focused living. We're going to look there at the second half of verse 10, but what it brings us to is the second result. The second result of family-like love is this. We participate in love by focusing on others. We're able to participate in love by focusing on others. Look there at verse 10. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, do this even more. Right, Paul, once again, he, he says, you young believers, you young church, you're doing this well. Are you committed to the Gospel. You're doing this faithfully. Continue to do that. Continue to love one another. Notice what he says. Do this even more. It's, it's almost like he said in the first couple of verses of the chapter. I mean, he wants them to abound or overflow in family love. Right, again, reminding them. He reminds them of what they're called to do by calling them who they are. Remember, brothers and sisters, you are to abound in love. You see there? He reminds them, you are this. Now live that way. He connects it to their unity and their union with Christ. Paul wants his church to flourish through love and he wants them to then thrive in that love. And if you remember, two weeks ago, Pastor Ryan, he he was preaching through uh, the latter half of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3. And chapter 3 ends with Paul praying for these people. And Paul prays specifically this phrase. For you to increase and overflow with love for one another. Prayer goes side by side. With gospel growth, prayer goes side by side with gospel growth, right? Paul doesn't just command it; he doesn't just say to them, "You're to do this." No, he actually asked the God of the universe, "Please help these people grow and increase in their love." So you may find yourself today as a person, it's like, "Man, I'm, I don't feel like I'm loving this way." Ask the Lord, pray that you may be filled with this kind of love. Maybe you're not experiencing that kind of love today, this week, this month. We want, you know, this is a place that we want you to experience that. And you can ask the Lord, would you make this church family a loving people? Because Paul prays it, and then he tells them to do it. And so prayer and action are tied together. Tied together. You cannot unloose them. And Paul, so much that he urges them, Continue, abound in this. But what does family love look like to Paul? How does it play itself out? Look there at verse 11. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Right here in verse 11, there are a few, a few phrases that we need to tease out. We need to break down. But first, Paul is clear that the church participates in family love by what? Seeking love the following commands. They are to seek. And on the face of it, it looks like these commands could just be single commands. You as an individual do this. But no, this is not just individuals. These are an underlying principle of love that affects the whole community. We respond in these actions because we have been loved and we love one another. Right. This word to seek means to prioritize your life Around others, or to make it your ambition. Make it your ambition to love others. There are lots of good things in our world that we can give ourselves to our families, our careers, our educations, and lots more. But Paul says to make our ambition to love one another. Do we see that as our main ambition? We love each other, we give ourselves to each other. That our love for our church family should be one of our highest aims. You might think about it this way Your governing aspiration is to give yourself away for the good of others. And Paul takes for granted that the love that we have and the concern for the church that we would have will then influence, maybe even determine our action or decision making. Paul takes for granted that this love of our church may actually cause us to make a certain decision than if it was just us. May we be a people who decide and who care and who give ourselves away not for only ourselves. Not what's just best for me and not what's best for just my physical family, but for the sake of God's family. May we be that kind of people. Because church, let me be honest, we have a world full of people who are doing it by themselves, who are doing it because they want this or that, and it will never work out. Ever. It may look good. Someone tells us that it may look good, but they will ultimately fail if they do not have the love of God and are then not showing the love of God. May even our love for one another actually cause us to make decisions even in our own lives, for each other. Think about it. Paul says it in Philippians 2. He says, look out not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. Right? Or in Galatians 5.13, for you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, i.e. to be selfish, but serve one another through love. Serve one another through love. This love that God has provided to us is a strong love, and it changes the people that have been impacted by it. Now, let's look at Paul's action plan here. Let's look at this kind of ambition. Right, he says, first, lead a quiet life. Lead a quiet life. This means to seek and to live peaceably. To not cause problems in your community or for the church. This, this phrase is similar to 1 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul calls for Timothy to make prayers and petitions for kings and authorities so that the church may what? Live a quiet life. Now, this doesn't mean that we are passive. That's not what Paul is saying in either case. But what he's saying is the church flourishes when it's able to lead a quiet life. Our lifestyle must be one that accurately reflects the Christian message of faith, hope, and love. And we are able to do that by leading a quiet life. But secondly, he says, mind your own business. This is a a phrase. We've translated it as one of the phrases we know. You may be doing something and your children may come up to you and they say, what are you doing, Mommy? Which Graham likes to do to Ashley all the time. He wants to help. It's great, but then he he messes it up. What are you doing, Mommy? And what she could say is, mind your own business, son. Right? That's what Paul's saying. Mind your own business. So what does that mean? Paul is concerned with the focus of this young church. That's what he's concerned about. What are you focused on? What are they giving their mental, emotional, and spiritual energies to? Is your focus the Gospel, its advance, and the church's mission? Or are you more concerned with other aspects of life that can be good? But are you more concerned about those things than God's Gospel and love for the churches so the churches may then Produce the kind of people that we're called to be. We must focus our attention and energy on the Gospel. I have to ask this question. What if we gave the Gospel as much attention as we give sports? And I'm, I'm the, I am the example here. I love them. I watch them. I watch football all day yesterday. But if I would give the gospel as much attention as I do to sports, would my life be different? What about politics? We care so deeply about things that matter. But would we be different if we gave our lives to the gospel and our church family the same way we give energies to these things? What about our careers? If we gave as much ambition and time into the church as we give to our careers, what would our church family look like? And listen, I think we're doing an okay job. But what the Lord has for us is much more than just okay. It's much more than just good. He has this ideal for us that we will be a people who lay down our lives for the sake of each other. Now, something that was common in the first century was this idea of patronage. So Paul then he applies it specifically to this. A wealthy person could be a patron of people who were called clients. And so the clients could kind of follow all these people around, they would, you know, get some, some crumbs of their food. They may be paid a little bit, they would get to do some things, and they would basically follow them around. And these were basically your first century influencers. These were your talking heads. They were able to gain public support by the number of clients they would have. And at some levels, some people in the church were actually giving themselves to be clients to these patrons. This is how you got things done, too. They're like you, you were a part of this cultural movement that they had. And so if you were a client, you could influence your, your patron, and maybe your patron would then make it easier for the church. That's exactly what Paul says is going on here. But he says, Don't have anything to do with this practice. Don't do this. Instead, instead, what does he say? Work with your own hands. It's the opposite. All right, so Paul doesn't just forbid them from something. He actually gives them the solution, the opposite way they should live. Now this work with your own hands is manual labor. not saying that, that those of us who don't have manual labor jobs aren't doing real work. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is give yourself to something that takes your full attention. Like Paul and his team, who are held up as the example in chapters 1 and 2 and 3. And work, it takes on the sacred meaning when we are motivated by love. All right, we reflect God when we work. We reflect God when we work. Uh, over the summer, I've, I've been mowing uh, my grass and not doing a great job because it's brown right now. I'm not really sure why. I'm trying, I really am. It can't, Pastor Ryan's grass is phenomenal in his front yard. It's great, and I, I, can't, I can't live up to that standard. But as I'm going out and I'm mowing, what does is, what is my son like to do? He has a toy lawnmower. And he grabs it, and he starts, he starts pushing it in the grass. And he's, he's yelling at me. As my lawnmower is loud as can be, he's yelling, Daddy, look at me, I'm mowing the grass. Is he really mowing grass? No. But he's imitating. he's imitating me, and he's trying to work like me. We imitate God by working. We have a working God. And we get to imitate Him by doing the things that He's called us to do. But, but understand, this work... Paul has a service, has a view of service over wealth and fame. He has a a service over wealth and fame mindset. So, how should we view our work? How should we view our vocation? What I mean by that are the arenas that God has given you, whether you work as a nurse, whether you work as a teacher, whether you are retired, any of those things. How How do we think about these? Number one, we are made in the image of God, which means we reflect Him. And we work by reflecting Him. Some of us are able to do more work than others. Some of you are in a different stage of life where you can't do as much work. I'm even talking about around the house or around the church or anything. Not just a job, but any kind of work. But we do know God created us in His image and that work is good. How do I know that? Work was given before the fall. And it talk, in Genesis 1, it talks about God working and resting from that work. And so work is good. Right? All of us have been physically gifted and have some natural skills and have some abilities that we've learned. And if we're in Christ, we've been, been, been giving spiritual gifts so that we may use those, use those for the edification of the body. But we've got to ask do we just see ourselves as a cog in the wheel? Are we a part of just ascending the line to make things go? Is it it just about making some money? Or do we believe that our work has meaning? Whether you're raising your children in your home, or you're a teacher, or you do work on some sort of assembly line, or you stack shelves with food, maybe you're a nurse, you care for others. Do you see that your work has meaning based solely on the fact that you reflect God and you love others? Now, may we choose work that's service-focused. I don't mean that you've got to go wait tables, but I mean by you understand you you take a job based on the ability for you to serve others over wealth and comfortability. May we take jobs that actually are giving to others. Did you know that most service jobs that we know today is nurses and teachers and missionaries and doctors? Those things are a direct result of the Christian faith. That we believe that these people matter because God has loved us and we love them. Now we're going to figure out a way to serve them. We're going to build hospitals. We're going to build orphanages. And we're going to care for these people. Why? Because work is others focused. The love in us that actually is spilling out to other people. We've all heard this phrase, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? What does that tie us to? It ties our work to our identity and that's the wrong way to think about it. Kids, I want you to look at me. If you're a kid in the room, I want you to look up at me. Okay? God has made you a specific way. He has gifted you, He has given you abilities and gifts. And here's the thing you have your whole life to figure out what God wants you to do. You have your whole life to do that. And I believe that God has given you these gifts to actually work themselves out, where you actually can go do the things you enjoy because you're giving yourself to God's mission. You've given yourself to serve others and you enjoy it. That's, what, that's the kind of work that we want for you. And we do not want your identity to be tied to what you do, but whether who you are. So kids, may you just enjoy this world. Parents, may you, may you help them figure out their gifts and their abilities and then steward them into that direction. And help them see we got a whole, our whole lives are in front of us. But let's give it for others. That's what Paul's saying. But why should we do this? Why? Why does this even matter that we think about loving others and loving the church and working for others? What does, what does this matter? Look at verse 12. So that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. I think it can be easy for us to come to a passage like this and to take it to two extremes. Right? We, care, we need to care so much about what the community thinks that we compromise the gospel, not what Paul's saying. Or, we got to stand on the truth and so we don't care what the community thinks about us. Two extremes. We either hold up the importance of the church or we hold up the importance of witness. And we miss actually what's going on here. Right? Paul is not concerned with this false dichotomy. That's not true. Our love for our church is actually should inform how we live in the world. Our love for one another should inform how we live in the world. We are to live and to work. Here in, in, in verse 11, it describes we are to behave properly. Right? This is to conduct ourselves with worthiness, decently, and with decorum that is, respect in relation to those on the outside that is, those who are not believers, those who are not a part of our church. And we are not to be dependent on anyone, which Paul, some of us, went back to this idea of patronage. And a proper family love includes working to provide for our own needs and to not take advantage of other brothers and sisters. And to not take advantage of them financially. Not saying that we can't care for one another. That's not what Paul's saying. There absolutely are people that we need to care for financially with our time and our our gifts. But may we not be people who are just looking for a handout is what Paul's saying. And Paul understands that we are noticed by the world and although we stand only under the judgment of God we are trying to offer hope to a lost and dying world and how they view us will impact how they receive the gospel how are they going to respond if our lives don't match up with the message that we preach if we place our hope in our means right let's just we're just going to Who cares about what we do? We're just going to what we say. Oh, they even care about our message. We talk about, as as I said before, we want to make mature disciples, and mature disciples who engage their world with the hope of the gospel. We want to be people who engage our world through acts of kindness and service, but also through proclamation of the gospel. That we are people who help others and we get into our community. We want to help. We want to engage. We want to serve. The question has to be, do our actions, do our words, do our social media posts, do they aid or do they hinder the cause of the church? Do they aid or do they hinder the cause of the church? So when we look here at verse 11 and 12, I think there are two ideas that are really, really important. God's people are not to be people who are dependent on the handouts of others. We are to work and to provide for ourselves and our families. We are also not to be people who are disruptive members of the community. Whose reputation in no way enhances or advances the Gospel. Paul says, don't don't go to those normal channels. Don't use those normal means. Live a life of love. And that will be a demonstration of the Gospel to even those on the outside. The solution that Paul gives to us is to remove ourselves from the kind of public discourse that would ultimately harm the church's witness and reputation. And to not rely on the world's way of making things happen or the world's way to provide for ourselves, but to actually say, God, would you use me and would you use your church family to provide for my needs? May we not rely on the influence of important people. But may we live out the Gospel together. Because remember, this church was was in a time where they were under steep opposition. Steep persecution. And it could have been easy for them to begin to do things that would maybe lessen the persecution, but it would actually erode the foundation of the Gospel. And may we be people who are not dependent and not disruptive. The solution Paul gives is that we work diligently to display love, for others and our hope in God. We have a God who loves us as we've talked about all day. We have a love that's formed our church family that many of you experience that love. And we experience that love together. But God showed us that love that even while we were still sinners, He sent His own Son to die for us. And it's that God who works on our behalf, who gives us everything we need, May we join Him by letting the Gospel influence our lives so much so that it produces a family that loves and is others-focused. The gospel, must, the gospel must produce family-like love and others-focused living. But church, I know that when we let the Gospel do its work, we can be a church that loves and focuses on each other. May we be this kind of church together. Pray with me. Holy God, You are a good God, a magnificent God. You are our Father, which means You care for us and You provide for us. And may we never find our needs of provision outside of You. Not in our own work or our own hands. Not in the hands of others. Because we know that You love us. And may we be a church family that loves each other May we be a church family that demonstrates that love through multiple ways, through hospitality and time and kindness. May we be a church family that demonstrates to our world that there is something different about us. That the love of the Gospel has so entrenched itself in our hearts that we show to other people, God, You are the way. We need You. We need You to help us We need You to work in us. We pray, just as Paul prayed, would would we increase in love for one another? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.